If you have your Bibles, turn to Malachi chapter 2. You come back for more. I thought I'd run everybody off last week, but you're, you're hanging around. I appreciate it. And today is going to be just as hard. Malachi is a, is a challenging, tough book. I'll get into it in just a minute. Keep your finger in Malachi chapter 2. And, and there, there's a partnership that we've made. I talked about it last week with Grace Home. It's a ministry at Clover Hill. We're partnering with them to help uh, provide housing for some young girls that have found themselves in a, in a challenging situation. So watch this, and then I'll tell a little bit more about it in a minute. Hi, I'm Julie, and this is my story. When I was 14, I found myself with an unplanned pregnancy. I didn't know what to do. I was ashamed. I was scared. I was overwhelmed, and I didn't know where to turn to. I didn't tell anyone that I was pregnant. I had just told the, my boyfriend, and um, I was pretty much told that I needed to go have an abortion. I went to the abortion clinic where they shared with me that it was just tissue and that I would be just fine. Well, the next day, I was not just fine. I felt the pain and the shame even at a greater level. I carried this around with me for a very long time. It wasn't until I was 19 years old that I came to know the Lord, and I had asked Him to forgive me of my sin, to know that our God is so big and His grace is sufficient, that He could forgive me for this, and not just forgive me, but love me, because I felt so unlovable. God can take our greatest pain, and He can turn it into our greatest passion. I didn't want any girl to have to go through what I did. I wanted to be a place where they could come to, a home, where they can feel loved, and they wouldn't feel ashamed, and just pour into these girls in every area of their life. I want to point them to Christ, because that is where our true freedom comes from, is Him. I want to provide the tools that they need to succeed, whether it's meeting with a counselor twice a week, teaching them life skills, career counseling, any way that we can possibly pour into them, I want to pour into them. I don't want them to feel alone and afraid. Together, we can change two lives at one time for generations to come. Amen. Two lives at one time for generations to come. That's our heart. That's what we want to want to do. So we found a home together. And it's a, it's a 4,200 square feet, five bedroom, three bath, plenty of room for the girls. It'll house four girls and their babies, $340,000. So we're asking you this, this Christmas season, the year in, and you've been so generous and so kind and, and uh, not, not begging, just putting it out there. Here's our need. We want to purchase this house. We need a great offering on December 13th to make that a reality. Some of you, I, I'm just hoping, I, you know, I told you last week, I figured out if everybody gave 250 bucks, we would be well on our way. And some people won't do that. Some people can't do that, but others can do more. And so just over the next little bit, will you next two, three weeks, will you be praying about what the Lord might have you to do? This is above your tithes and your tithes. This is your offering. This is your end giving. We're sowing into, I think, some good seed to make a difference really for generations to come. I also wanted to tell you that last week our Mosley campus had over 300 people for, that's the first time on a non-big day. So we're excited about that. It, that's, just a, that's a great accomplishment. It took us a year to get 100 here when back in the day, a, a year, uh, five years to get to 100 people. They've got to 300 in about 13, 14 months. 
If you live in that area, Mosley, 23832, Woodlake, uh, Magnolia Green, all that area, Foxfire, Foxcroft, I would encourage you to go check it out. It's just a, it's a dynamic place, just like this, same message, same kind of worship. Encourage you to be a part, plug in, see if you can help them reach that community with the love of God. Also, so can I just tell you a few more things? So proud of our small groups. One small group's adopted a, a, a young girl that, that has come from a hard place, and they've just been ministered to her, walking alongside of her, helping her. That's what, that's what Christianity, that's what, that's what it's all about. Another small group has taken a family, adopted a family in our church. It's come across, across some hard times, out of a job. They did a yard sale, raised enough money to cover their Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we're just grateful for that. If you're, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. If you are in a small group, but you guys aren't doing anything, get your eyes off of the inward and start looking out in the community and see what you can do to make a difference for those less fortunate around you. And then one last thing, several months ago, I talked to you about a Pastor Moses. He's starting a Hispanic church. There, there are 100,000 Hispanics in the Richmond area and, and, and many great need for a church and to plant. And so Pastor Moses has moved down from his family. He's a Cuban. He's come over, pastored some great churches in Cuba, and he's starting a church. And over the last two months, he started two Bible studies, 45 people are attending, starting another Bible study in December, going on the radio in January, looking to launch the campus sometime in the spring. And, and he's here today, Pastor Moses. Will you, will you just stand up and just wave at the people, will you? We're partnering with him. He's my friend. Came, came, there was, a divine, I think, a divine connection. And Clover Hill's doing a lot financially to make that a reality. And so I just want you to know you're giving. Is, you don't give to the church. You give through the church. You, you, some people are, I just give into it. No, no, no. You're giving through the church because your giving is going to different projects and different things around this community, around the world to make a difference for the glory of God. That's good. I'm glad I'm a part of that kind of church. Here, here's Malachi. Malachi, first verse. Let me just catch up, fill you in what's going on. Malachi means messenger. Some people think that, that it was just fic some fictitious guy that they just, here's a message from the Lord. Others think it was a real guy by the name of Malachi. Never, I don't even know why I said that. It really doesn't matter because it's a word from the Lord. It's an or the Bible says an oracle, verse 1. One translation says a burden for the Lord. God has this burden for his people. Back in this day, it was the Israelites, the people that had been chosen by God to form and create a relationship that would be such that the watching world would want what they have. Man, man, you're so close to God, and He's protecting, and He's fighting your enemies, and He's helping you, and He's making a way. We want that. We want what you have. The Israelites, the church has taken the place of the Israelites today. The Bible says in 1 Peter that we are a chosen generation. We are a, a royal priesthood. We are people that belong to God, who have been caught out of darkness into His marvelous light, that we should declare the praises of God. Now the church is the new Israel. We are the people of God. But back in that day, it was Israel. And there, it was a heavy word, a burden word. God, God has this word for His people. And, and, and He gives it to His messenger. That's how He operates oftentimes. He gives this word through, his, through a man or a woman of God to share. I got this word for you. I got this burden for you. And it has nothing to do with a lack of love. The very first verse, he says, I love you deeply. If you don't listen to the book of Malachi in this framework or this lens of love, you'll miss everything about it. Because without love, it's just rules and regulations. Without love, it's just ceremony and, and some false body and consecration. 
But with love, it connects you to the author. It connects you to the, to the giver of it. If you, if, you don't, if you don't listen to this message today through the ears of, of a pastor that loves you and wants what's best for you, then you're gonna, it's just going to go. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be condemning, judgmental. You're going to think, well, who is he to say that? I, you, just right out the gate. It's a message of love. My, my, God says, my love for you is not based on your past or your performer, performance or even your potential. It's based on my, my nature. I love you. I always have loved you. I love you now. And I always will love you. So in the context of love, let me share this heavy word with you, Malachi said. And at this time, the Israelites were in a bad place spiritually. They were going through the motions. They were still bringing their sacrifices. They were still going to the temple. But there was a lack of zeal, a lack of passion, a lack of fervor. They were complacent and casual. And, and they were just in a very bad spot spiritually. And so because God loves people, he loves his people. And when they get in a bad spot spiritually, he can give them a hard word, a, a, a burden word. So they, he gets them back on track and realigns them. And so we come today to chapter 2, and he addresses the priests. So Malachi 2.1, listen, you priests. And, and, and priests in the Old Testament, again, let me give you some background. You probably know this, but the priests represented the people to God. So back in the Old Testament, no, not anybody could go into the presence of God. You had to be a priest. You had to be a part of the Levitical priesthood. You were the only one that could to do a sacrifice. You're the only, the priests were the only, they represented the people to God. Hey, forgive us of our sins. For, so it was the mediator. They also represented God to the people. So they would get a message from God and they would communicate it to the people. New Testament, that's been done away with. We don't, you don't need anybody today. You don't need me to go before God on your behalf. The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross that the earth shook and the rock splits and the temple curtain, which represented the separation between man and God, was torn in half. It was, it was torn down. So now you and I, as priests, as believers of Jesus Christ, we have direct access into the throne room of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. You don't have to go through somebody. You don't, you don't have to get a word from somebody. You have ears to hear. You have a spirit to receive. You have every, you've got what, what it takes to find access into the very throne room of God. That's good news. Good news. In the Old Testament, it was priests. In the New Testament, God has ordained or equipped or set in place pastors. Because God does have order. It's a kingdom. Jesus is the king. And then God put, he, he orders his church. And, and you, who's the, who's the head of Cloverville Assembly of God? Well, Jesus is. This is his church. He's the chief shepherd. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is his church. But I've been set in as pastor. And here's what a pastor does in 1 Peter 5 too. Be shepherds of God's flock. Overseers, look after it. Lead my people, encourage my people, guide my people, correct my people if need be. But be the shepherds of God's flock that are under my care. So, so God is talking specifically in Malachi 2 to priests or to pastors. For our study this morning, I want to expand that application, and it really would be for any spiritual leader. Any spiritual leader, this is a word for you. Well, I'm not a spiritual leader. Yes, you are. A leader is someone who has influence. You have influence. Like it or not, want it or not, you are an influencer. You might, it might be a kid. 
your own kid, somebody else's kid. It might be a neighbor, a co-worker, a somebody you You have influence. And so this word today, listen, you priest. Take, take, don't, th- this command is for you. If you're a spiritual influencer, which you are, this word is for you. And so he goes on and he says in Malachi 2, 2, listen to me and take it to heart. Don't punch your neighbor and say, hey, this is for you. This is, it's for you. you. Don't give your husband bruised ribs because he needs to hear this. You need to hear this this morning. And, and don't just listen to it, but take it to heart. Let it sink into your spirit. Honor my name, says the Lord Almighty. And the whole book of Malachi, this love letter, I loved you deeply, but I got this issue with you. It's all about a lack of respect and honor and reverence and fear. It's a, it's, it's, they're not esteeming the name of the Lord and giving God the, the, the honor that he deserves. It's really the whole book is summed up in this one verse, Malachi 1.6. I'm going to come back to chapter 2, but 1.6. Everything else flows from this verse. Everything else is an application or a response to this verse. And here's the verse, the son honors his father. They knew this. They understood this. They knew the law. They had a good understanding of the law. They knew rebellion in the, in the authority of debt. It, it was not, it, it, you, don't, you don't do that. And of serving his master. Same idea. If I'm your father, again, father implies the word affection. I have this affection towards you. And I, I want you to cancel it. If you had a bad father, I'm sorry. I really am. If you had a good father, I thank God for it. But your heavenly father is probably, in most cases, unlike your natural father. I want you to get the idea of what your natural father was. And you've got to see this father that loves you, that created you, that's for you, that's, that's kind and compassionate and long-suffering and patient. But yet, on the other hand, he is just and holy and right. He's perfect, and beside him there is no other. And I got this... I got this affection for my children. And if I'm your father, where's the honor, the respect, the awe, the fear do my name? And if I'm your master, master means authority. If you you have submitted yourself under my leadership, if if I am the final say in your life, then where is the respect do my name? So, so this whole thing is about honor. The whole book is about respect and fear and reverence. And, and last week we talked about in worship in chapter 1 how these, how these guys were just bringing, they knew better, but they were bringing their lame and, and blind and, and deformed sacrifices. They were bringing God the leftovers. And God got to a point and said, man, will you just shut the door of the temple? I don't, your lukewarmness and casualness is nauseating me. I don't want this from you. It's not that I, it's not that I have to have your worship. I, I desire a relationship with you. I don't need you. I want you. I want us to walk together and fellowship together and commune together. And I try to apply it to our worship service where we have, as an American church, for the most part, we've, we've, we've whittled it down to 75 minutes a week where we can come together for corporate praise and corporate prayer and the teaching of God's Word. But yet many of us are 10, 15, 20 minutes late, 5 minutes late for that matter. And it's this casualness, this complacency. And, and, I, and I'm just telling you, God's better than that. 
And it's not, it, here's what I want. I want us to create a culture at Clover Hill where we come early and sit close. Not because we love the worship or want to hear the preaching, but because we love Jesus and we want to respect him and honor him. And we want him to know that, God, you're my father. I've experienced your affection. You're my master. You're the final authority. And I'm going to prove it by giving you all the, and the respect that's due your holy name. That's good. You can say amen. You don't have to. You, but, that, but, that, that, but that is good. And so this is what they say. Because of your lack of respect, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I'm going to bring a terrible curse against you. Now, this wasn't the first time. Old Testament, there's, there's, there's greater grace in the New Testament. But we'll talk about the purpose of the curse in a minute. But I'm going to bring this curse against you. Not the first time. If you go all the way back to the book of Leviticus... You were really even before that, when Moses was leading the children, God said, look, I want you to put your brother Aaron over the priesthood. And I want his family line to be the priest. They're going to represent, they're going to do all that stuff I just said. They're going sa- to inspect the sacrifices. They're going to honor me. They're going to they're live above reproach. They're, they're going to be men that instruct God's people. And I want that to happen. And in that day, the kids usually took the place of the father. So if your dad was a priest, you were going to be a priest. And Aaron's sons came into priesthood, and they were, they were vile and wicked and no, ref, no respect, no authority for the things of God. And the Bible says that they brought to God, they offered him a profane sacrifice. It means irreverent. They regarded something that was holy as unholy. And so instead of coming into God's presence by his prescribed way, by the way that he had determined and desired, they came flippantly, they came casually, they came matter-of-fact. And the Bible says that the fire from the altar reached out and consumed them, killed them. Moses is preaching their funeral. And this is what he says in Leviticus 10.3. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. This, This is an eternal and universal command. Eternal, I mean it's forever. And universal means it's for everybody. No, that's Old Testament. No, you can see this all throughout the New Testament. This is universal and it's eternal. Those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. I'm not the big guy in the sky. I'm Almighty God. I'm creator and sustainer of this universe. I'm the one who is and was and is to come. You better regard me as holy, as separate, as special, as significant. And before all people, I'm going to be glorified. Listen, I'm not your butler who jumps at your every whim. I'm the one who holds the galaxies in the palm of my hand. I'm the one who placed the stars with my fingertips. I'm the one that tells the ocean how far to come up on the shore. I'm not common. I'm holy. I'm not distant. I'm I'm not present. I'm not confused. I'm omniscient. It's in me that you live and move and have your very being. In fact, I'm the vine. I'm I'm the vine and you're the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the creator. You're the creation. I'm the potter. You're the clay. Now you, when you come near me, you must regard me. And here's the deal. I can come into the presence of God boldly. That means confidently. Because I've been invited by the king. But I better come humbly. Because he is the king. And beside him, there is no other. See, they, this is a universal decree. They, they weren't doing it. They weren't doing it. And so God said, I'll tell you about the judge. Because it's a judgment with a purpose. But he says, I'm going to curse even the blessing you received. You thought, you thought you were getting blessed. You, 
You, you, don't, you don't even know what's in store. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you have not taken my warning seriously. I mean, can we just ponder and think on that? Man, I better take the warnings of God seriously. This, this, is, this is really life and death. I will rebuke your descendants. Some of us think, well, well, it's just about me. No. Your lack of reverence and fear and respect will affect future generations. If, you don't, if I don't get this, if you don't get this, it's going to affect our kids and our grandkids. You've got to grab hold of this, this truth and this reality that God's a holy God. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to spatter your faces with dung. You know what dung is? It's poop. That's all it is. It's poop. Now, we, don't, we might not get this, but in the Old Testament, when they bring their sacrifices, bulls and goats have no potty etiquette. They don't know. So they just let it rip wherever they are. And, and then they, you know, they're walking around the temple trying to dodge the cow patty. Is that funny or no? Not very. But, but they're just trying to get away. And so God says, I'm going to take that dung and I'm going to put it on your face. In fact, where, where all the, the people collect it and throw it outside, we're going to throw you on that dung heap. That's where you're going to end up. And, and, and here again, there is judgment with a purpose. Not so that, I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to uh, uh, set you, I'm not trying to do anything but trying to get you back to my heart. And, and here's where it'll say right here. That at last, why is he going to do that? Why, why such graphic? Why, why such judgment? Why, why such punishment? Because I, I, I want you to know what I sent you in this warning so that my covenant, covenant is a binding agreement, that this binding agreement I made with the Levites the Levites were that, that, that priesthood that I talked about earlier. They were the first ones that God made this, this covenant with, this binding agreement with. You're going to worship me, and I'm going to honor you. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna help people, and I'm going to help you. There, there's this agreement, this, this, this covenant that we're going to make together, says the Lord Almighty. The purpose of this covenant... Some people think, well, God's just mad and angry. And he's just going to put dung in their face and throw them on the dung pile because he's just an angry and mean God. No, the purpose, this is what I want. I'm going to put dung in your face. I'm going to throw you in the dung pile so that you'll come to your senses, to, so that you'll awaken to the reality that I'm really God. Listen to me, God, God will never get to a point where he's tired of it. He doesn't just go, you're out of here, man. Enough grace, I'm done with you, I'm tired of you. No, no, you might go through some struggles and challenges. You know why? So that you'll come to your senses and turn back to him. That's his heart. That's his desire. He don't want to judge finally. He, he wants to judge in a sense that, all right, oh, God, you are God. Oh, God, you are holy. Oh, God, you are smarter than me. You are better than me. You do know more than me. Let me get back in line with you. That's the purpose of this. This is what I want for you, God said. I want life and peace. That's why Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jeremiah 29, 11, Marcy said it this morning. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. That's God's desire. I want you to experience peace that passes all understanding. And so, and so that's what I want. So if I got ju- to discipline you, then I'm going to do whatever it takes because I got more in mind for you. I got something better than what you're experiencing. I got something good. Malachi 2.5. And so then, so, so back up. These priests, spiritual influencers. Take heed to this warning. It's for you, these leaders. 
They're not doing it right. And so now Malachi gives them an example of how they should do it. And I've put an out, not an outline, but I put a piece of paper in your bulletin. Will you pull it out and will you write some things down? Or if you're using your iPhone. And here, I want to give you four characteristics of spiritual leaders worth following. Because that, that's really what this is all about. And here's the first one. It's found in Malachi 2.5. We're, we're still in context. We're still working our way through this chapter. And, and he's just said the dung thing. And now he comes to this. I, I want you to be like the Levites. And my covenant with them, it called for reverence. I made this covenant with you. I want to be your God. I, you need to be my people. But it's going to take some reverence. It's going to take some respect. It's going to take some fear. It's going to take some honor. And, and here's how they responded. And they greatly revered me. And they stood in all of my name. Here's the first word I want you to write down. Conviction. Just write that down. Write it. Conviction. Four words. A few more notes that I'm going to give you. Conviction. Well, conviction is it's just this understanding. It's this, it's this desire. It's this, it's this certainty, this persuasion, that belief that God is in all, that he's above all, that he's over all. You know what conviction is? It's Moses. As he wrestled with God concerning going into the promised land, and God was at a point where he wasn't going to go with him, he was going to send his angel. And God had, Moses had such a conviction that God was what he needed and what he wanted the most. He said, God, if you don't go, I don't want to go. I'd rather miss the promised land with you than be in the promised land without you. I've got this conviction that, that you, are, you are my greatest need. Joshua, remember Joshua, a spiritual leader? He got, all, he got all that nation together. Everybody influenced, he gathered them together. And he said, hey guys, our culture has gone crazy. They're worshiping all kind of gods and they're doing all kind of th- crazy things. And I know your heart is bent towards that and your eyes are looking at that. But I just want you to know, I, I'm telling you right now, you, you can do whatever you want, but, but choose this day whom you're going to serve. For as me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. There was this conviction in the life of Joshua. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care what everybody else is saying. I'm going to serve God. There's this conviction. Conviction is is Paul in a prison cell saying to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying there is nothing that compares to the surpassing greatness. There's no promotion. There's no thing. There's no stuff. There's no relationship. There is nothing that compares to the surpassing greatness as knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Conviction is Peter, beat up and bloodied, being told, quit honoring and talking about Jesus. And he looked at him with eyes of courage and conviction and said, I must obey God rather than man. You want to be a leader worth following? You, You want to have spiritual influence? Malachi said, look, take heed, take warning. You are an influencer. You are influencing somebody. It starts with conviction. Here's the next verse, 2-6. They passed on to the people all the truth they had received from me. Spiritual leader worth following. The second word is clarity. They understood the truth. They walk in the truth. They live out the truth. Truth has been muddied over the last few decades. It seems everybody has a different definition of what's right. But what you think is right and I think is right is really immaterial. It's what God thinks that really matters. 
And there's a real debate over what defines truth. A secular university, they did a, they did a uh, whatever you call it, where they asked questions, a survey. And the question was asked, what is truth? And here's the top four responses. Truth is whatever you want to believe. It's truth. Truth. Here's the second one. There is no such thing as absolute truth. They said there's no such thing of truth that is true for all people, for all places, for all times. Truth changes. It's up and down. It's generational. It's whatever you think at the moment. Number three, they said truth is relative. Just whatever you think. And the last one, they said people who believe in absolute truth are dangerous. According to that definition, God is dangerous. Because Psalms 31.5 says, Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. Jesus is dangerous. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The Holy Spirit is dangerous. Jesus said, look, I'm going back to the Father, but I'm going to ask him to give you a counselor. He's going to be with you forever. And he's the spirit of truth. The Bible is dangerous. Jesus prayed for his disciples, sanctify them by your, by your word. For your word is truth. According to that definition, I'm dangerous because I believe in the truth of God's word. That when it applied and and learned and applied, it brings blessing and healing. And when rejected and disobeyed, it brings confusion, unrest, and pain. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is absolute truth, and it's found in God's word. And then under that clarity, will you just write some things? Absolute truth. Under that, will you just put, will you just write down that God loves me? That's truth. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm not just telling you a phrase. No, God, God loves you. You know how I know he loves you? He sent his son to die for you. You know what the work of the Holy Spirit's main function is? Is to passionately pursue you and to convince you. Here's the work of the Spirit. To convince you that God loves you, has a plan for you wants to clothe you in his righteousness and has created a, a home in heaven for you. It's, it's the love of God. You know, here's another truth. Write this down. Under God loves me, write this down. Sin is destructive. It's a truth. And no, it's not. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You, you ask the guy who's committed adultery or addicted to alcohol or bound by pornography or tormented by anger and unforgiveness, caught in the trap of deceitfulness and lying. Ask them if sin is destructive. Sin kills. It kills relationships. It kills, it kills you physically, mentally, emotionally, and eventually spiritually if it's not taken care of. Here's another truth you need, you need to write down. The Bible is truth. You say, well, Pastor, why such the big deal on making God first? Because the Bible says you're to have no other gods before me. Because the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Because when you don't have Jesus first, everything else gets out of whack. Pastor, what's the big deal about, unfor- about forgiveness? Why, why do I got to do it? They don't deserve it. Because the Bible says if you don't give it, you don't get it. The Bible says your, your ability to receive mercy is based on your willingness to give mercy. Pastor, why such the big, the, big, the big push for personal purity? Because the Bible says flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against 
him own self. Do you not know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It doesn't matter what I think. doesn't matter what I, what I feel. It matters what God's Word says. And the Bible is absolute truth. And listen, when I call out sin and when I talk about this, can you just, can you just be reminding me? I'm not judging you. Because if I point any fingers, I got three pointing right back at me. This is a word that I need to heed. This, this isn't just for you. Malachi is speaking to me. And in no way am I trying to condemn you because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm trying to convince you today that there is a way that life should be lived. And the one who knows it is the one who created it. And it's Almighty God. And I have this conviction that when you live according to the Word of God, you experience His blessing and you walk in His presence and you know His peace because the Bible says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night, being very careful to do all that's written in it. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, which will bear fruit in season. And whatever he does prospers. I want you to prosper. I want you to be blessed. Therefore, we've got to hold up the truth of God's word. We've got to come under the standard of what he says. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what God's word says. If you want to be a spiritual leader worth following, there's got to be some clarity. You've got to know and live and walk and desire the truth found in God's word. I think you're listening. Here's the next thing. I'm sweating. I know that. Spitting and sweating. Hey, I'm giving you my best. I'm telling you, I'm giving you everything. I, I'm giving you what I think. I, I'm, not, I'm not even giving you what I think. I think I'm giving you what I feel like God has imported into my spirit. And I'm trying to give it out the best way I can. And it's so important that you receive it in the right way. And you're receiving in a heart that I'm saying, man, all this yelling and spitting, it's nothing but my style. It's just who I am. Nothing to do with anointing. Nothing to do with anything. I yell at my kids like, no, I don't. I don't. But I'm passionate for your soul. I want all that God has for you. Here's the next thing. Malachi 2.6, they did not lie or cheat. You know, what, what does that have to do with? It has everything to do with character character scandal is broken out everywhere the white house the capitol the sports arena the church you can't you can't look at the news without every day without seeing some kind of lack of integrity and affair mishandling of money improprieties it's everywhere and i'm here character is so if you're going to be a spiritual leader worth following you got to have character character is who you are when no one's looking character is 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 really who you truly are Character will affect how much you accomplish in life. It will determine whether or not you're worth knowing. It will make or break every one of your relationships. Your character will determine how you respond to failure, success, or mistreatment, or pain. Your good looks and your wealth might get you married, but your character will keep you married. Your college degree might open up doors of opportunity, but your character will determine what you do once you step through those doors. Your, your God-given reproductive system may en enable you to produce children, but your character will determine the relationship you have with them. Your accomplishments, your acquisitions, your ability will earn you notoriety, but your character will earn your respect. Your character determines your legacy. That's why, that's why the Proverbs writer said, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than gold. 
A man of integrity walks securely. This character issue has to be dealt with and, and practiced if you're going to be a spiritual leader worth following. The last, the last one. Stay with me, will you? Don't put your notes down. i got a few more things. Malachi 2.6. They walked with me living good and righteous lives. First part of Malachi 2. Hey, don't do it like this. Second part. Do it like this. Have conviction. Have clarity. Have character. Here's the last word. Consistency. Anytime you see the word walk in Scripture, it, it implies progress. It implies moving forward. The Bible says Enoch walked with God for 300 years. They lived a lot longer than we, we do today. 300 years he walked with God. Well, well, Enoch didn't have any problems. He didn't have any struggles. He lived for 300 stinking years. You don't think he had problems? You don't think he had difficulties? You don't think he experienced the mountain and experienced the valleys? But you know what he had determined in his heart? I'm just going to walk with God. I know it rains on the just and the unjust. And I know in this world you're going to have tribulation. But I'm just going to be of good cheer because God has overcome the world. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. And I'm just going to walk with him and serve him and honor him. Noah, 110 years he built that ark. What was he doing? He was walking with God. Noah, come down, stop that. It's foolishness. No, I'm going after God. We got too many foul-weather Christians who only want God when things are bad. And then we go on the flip side, we got Christians who only walk with God when things are good. And I want to be an all-weather Christian. I want to walk with Him in the good and the bad and the challenges and the victories and the difficulties and the good times. I just want to walk with God, serve God, not determined by everybody else or even the circumstance. Discerned by my character. Determined by my clarity because it's truth. Determined by my conviction. Here, so, so here's how we're going to end. So, so what happens to these people? Well, if you don't fear and honor the Lord, you're going to get dung on your face and end up on the dung pile. And I don't want that because i got something better for you. But if you'll do it like this, then here's the result. And they turn many from lives of sin. Your influence will impact your kids. It will impact your coworkers. Your, your light is going to shine such that people are going to begin to ask, well, what, what's the hope that you have? And because of, your, because of your walking with God, you're going to turn... And then isn't this what you want? This is what I want more than anything because this is really the only thing of eternal value. People come to know Jesus because maybe I had a little part in it because maybe my life declared that God is good and He's worthy of our praise. So here's how I want you to reflect. I want you to respond. Because here's what the Word of God is. It's a mirror. That's what James says. We're to hold it up and see what it, see what it reflects. Am I doing this? Am I living that? And if we're not, we're just called to make some adjustments, whatever needed to be, be made. So here's the first word. The first word is conviction. Can you just put beside that? Again, keep your notes out. I'm almost done. Put beside that surrender. And here, I just, here's surrender. Lord, I, just, I give you my life, God. I give you my life. I offer myself as a living sacrifice. I surrender to your will and to your way. Here's the next word. We're just kind of, we're just soaking it in, responding. Clarity, it's, here's the word, write this down, lordship. 
We're going to talk about this more next week, I think. And we're going to get deeper into what this means. But, but he, here's what Jesus said. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? It shouldn't be. If I hold the truth and seek the truth and discern the truth and apply the truth and, and live out the truth, make me Lord. Here's the next word, character. Just put whole. That's what integrity means. It means whole. It means you're not one person in one setting and another person in another setting. Integrity means I am who I am. And, and I am who I am because of the grace and the goodness of God. And I'm going to live like I do on Sunday like I am throughout the week. And, 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 and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live with care. You know what character does? It allows you to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not perfect. I have my failures. I, I have shortcomings. But, 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 but I'm a whole person. I'm not a split personality. I'm not divided. I don't have divided allegiance. I'm whole. Consistency. Just write the word perseverance. Leader worth following. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to keep walking with God. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. I might get knocked down, but I'm getting back up. I'm not going to lose heart in doing good because I know at the right time I'm going to reap a harvest if I faint not. I'm going to fight the good fight and keep the faith. I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to walk with God. There's going to be this spirit of perseverance in me that with the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not just going to make it. I'm going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Why? Why? Because a son honors his father. And a servant is master. And if I'm your father, if I've expressed this affection towards you, where, where's the honor? And if I'm your master, if I am in charge of your life, if you surrendered and submitted to me, then where is the respect? Do my name. Listen, you can be a leader, a spiritual leader worth following. Amen, everybody?